0: All right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fuckingistas? What the fuck tuckians? What the fuck nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is WTF, my podcast. Welcome to the show. Today on the show, my, Jay Mascus drops by. Literally, he just wanted to come by. But like, I, I mean, to me, that is a, an honor, and uh, it makes me feel good. He didn't have anything to really promote. He just wanted to chat. Play a couple songs so look forward to that coming up me and jay mascus dinosaur jr if you don't uh if you're like who the fuck is jay mascus oh also on the show danny fields i tried to wrangle about 50 years of rock history into a conversation with danny who's not always following a straight line but uh he is like he's like a punk rock rock Zelig man he was he was there at the juncture of some of the most important turning points of modern rock fucking music Danny Fields and I was happy he was out here I wrote his mind I, you know I held on and we, uh, we, we got somewhere got a lot of places got an interesting uh, email today Eureka I'm manic. hi Mark 40 something Long Island artist type living in SoCal I enjoy your podcast for your relatable guests and the memories of the tri-state area WTF is like an east coast slice of pizza Thank you. Nice thin crust. I recently listened to the AJ Mendez Brooks interview and had a eureka moment. Holy shit, I'm bipolar! Everything completely made sense to me. Like the scene when Ed Norton found out he was also Brad Pitt in Fight Club. Recollections of manic episodes raced through my mind. Like this one time I was rifling through my trunk for an ice scraper during a New York blizzard. And four days later, my car is overheating in California. No job, no plan, and no resolve for the mania. I used to refer to these moments as firecrackers. They are fun to play with, slightly dangerous, bright, loud, then go away. Afterward, the smoke It's a mess, it smells, and always costs money. I'm gonna take a pause and look at myself. I'll let you know how things go. Keep it up, you're changing lives. Signed, Tyler Durden. Anyway, let me tell you this story. Look, I'm no, I don't see myself as a celebrity. You know, I'm a a mid-level guy who works at home, Sometimes does some on-camera stuff. Also gets out on stage a lot. But, you know, I'm just a working stiff in the uh, the big business of show. You dig? Whatever experience I've had here in the garage with, with very famous, brilliant, not-so-brilliant and famous people that have come through here, once they sit down after about 10 minutes, I can kind of, you know, manage myself. You know, manage... Uh, whatever fanness i i might have fandom or just yeah you know, people become people very quickly you know and it just and that, and i know that i know that but here here's what happened it was uh it was you know it was pretty exciting i guess i don't know if it was exciting it was weird cuz i don't live the life i'm not living the life y- yeah I, I don't know if you know that but i'm not living the life okay like i here's what i assume i assume people who are living the life don't ever have to unplug things to plug other things in. And that it's a weird thought I always have when I'm trying to plug in my burr grinder and also my blender. Can't do it. Got to unplug one to plug in the other. And I always think at that moment, you know, people who are living the life, they got plenty of plugs. And everything's in its own place. And it all works together. And it's just a beautiful, clean and easy move through the world for the people that are living the life. Plenty of plugs. Anyway, I go to the U2 concert. Now, I don't go to many concerts, you know that, but I got offered uh, some tickets to go see U2 here at the Rose Bowl. Dan Cook over at Gimme Gimme Records was actually the best guy to go with. Dan and I went and at the last minute uh, the publicist sent me a parking pass so it was like, all now, now I'm living the life. We're just cruising down you know, through cop checkpoints directly into the parking lot. No other cars. There's a special lane for people living the life, and we're in it. Dan and I are living the life, parking at the Rose Bowl to see you two. So we go in. We get our seats. They're nice seats. They're not on the field, which is all standing. They're seated, and they're, like, stage right, and we can see the big screens. We can see everything. It's nice out. It's beautiful, you know? Got a lemonade, sitting around, talking about music, and we're waiting and then the Luminaires come on. It's okay. You know, I like them. It's a country band. Seems like it to me. I don't know what people are calling them, but it seemed like pretty solid kind of folk country stuff. Enjoyed it. About midway through the Luminaires, I get a text from the publicity people. They're like, hey, we're going to come down and give you a pass to the Desert Lounge. I'm like, all right. I don't know what that is. So uh, Steve from the from the publicity place, he comes over, gives me a desert lounge pass, and, and, and you know, we were pretty comfortable there having a lemonade, talking music, and the beautiful night waiting for uh, you two listening to the luminaires, but, you know, we go with Steve to the desert lounge. Now, the desert lounge is just a big tent with a bunch of people in it, and I don't know what we're doing there. It's like, you know, it's, it's not like the special, special room. It's just a room with people who are affiliated or paid some money or family, friends, whatever, hanging out in a big bar setting in a tent that's air-conditioned, which was nice. uh uh, they someone told me they just saw you know Scott Ackerman and Adam Scott and I'm like I know those guys where are they I don't know where they are they're not here anymore I said let's just go out back out man I was in the zone I was sitting in an arena I was waiting for um the band I was like in the zone I liked it outside I don't want I don't know who these people are it's like a fucking nightclub I go tell Steve like thanks for the desert lounge pass and uh we're gonna go back out to the arena and and he's like well don't you want to don't you want to meet the meet you too and I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. I mean, they're going to do a little meet and greet. I think in about fifteen minutes. I mean, Bono's not because he's you know taking care of his voice, but I think the other guys are. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what, what, what for? Am I? I can't interview him here. I don't know. And, and he looked at me weird. And I'm like, oh, what am I? I'm an idiot. Yeah, well, yeah, of course. Yeah, I want to. I want. I don't. I can do that. I. I don't have to go sit out there in the arena. And then we walk through this little tunnel area, backstagey-looking, you know, locker room kind of into a room that's hot. All I know is what we were just in an air-conditioned room, and now we're walked into a room full of people, and it's hot as fuck, like a sauna hot. And I'm like, "What is this?" And all of a sudden, my eyes just start looking around, and I, like, I do a little like 180 look, and I'm like, "That's Sean Penn on the couch. Sean Penn on the couch. Sean Penn's just sitting there talking to people." Now, look, I don't care how many people I've had in here or what you think of anybody. You know, when I see movie stars, I act like a person who's seeing a movie star. And I'm like, well, I don't tell my face to do that because I'm a professional. But inside, I'm like, it's fucking Sean Penn, look at him. Look at, him. Look at his face. It's a Sean Penn's face. He's like, a, a you know, a little Sean Penn's old face with his mustache. And and like, and then I start scanning around. I'm like, what the fuck is happening in here? There's, oh, there's Julia Roberts. What is going on in here? And then I see Ackerman and Adam Scott. And I'm like, okay. I know those guys. So I go over there. i like, what's up? Hey, we're chit-chatting around. Then I start looking around. I'm like, holy fuck, isn't Josh Brolin? Is that Josh Brolin? Jesus Christ, what is this place? So then I'm like, holy shit, there's Sasha Baron Cohen. So I know him because he was on the show. So I start talking to Sasha Baron Cohen. Then Jimmy Kimmel comes over. We're talking about his kid who's doing all right. And then Patricia Arquette, who's been on the show, she says hi. And it's like, oh, my God, this is it. This is a big-time celebrity holding pen. And I'm just always surprised. Like, I could not stop looking at the side of Josh Brolin's head because I think he's a great actor. And, I, and my brain is sort of like, he's just a dude. I'm like, yeah, but God damn it. He was good. No country for old men. Come on. Come on. Hail Caesar, please. Whatever. I have a natural fan reaction to movie stars and actors that I like. And I'm fighting it. I'm fighting it. I'm doing okay with the fight. I'm talking. It was nice to talk to people that I knew in here who, who know me. And that was fun. To be, but I'm not that level. I'm not living the life. I'm, you know, I'm really, uh, 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 on some level, just a guy who works out of his house. <laughs> and I was excited. And Dan had never been, he was like, you know, he was, high, he was hiding his shit better than me, just acting normal around these highly celebritized people. But at some point, me and Dan pull away. And it happened. It just, it just happened. You know, I'm scanning the room not really scanning it because I've already taken it in. And then the edge comes out and then I'm like, uh, there's the edge. Maybe I should go say hi. Oh, he's talking to Matt Damon. I don't know Matt Damon. I'm not just going to walk up and go, Hey man, what's going on? Mark Maron. Excuse me, Matt. I don't know him. I know he's just a person. They're all just people, but I don't know him. So I didn't meet the edge. But anyway, so Dan and I are getting, I'm like, I can't take anymore. I met Hal Wilner. That was actually very exciting. The music producer, but like right before we were about to leave, the, the room because it was too hot and I just wanted to go sit out in the arena and wait for the fucking band. <laughs> it was where it's nice and comfortable. Have a lemonade. And uh like I'm just about we're about to walk out and we're I w I, I look towards the door and there's a man surrounded by people, few people, and that's when it I just broke. And I just looked at Dan, I pointed across the room and I said, Quincy Jones about that loud. Quincy Jones. No one it didn't no one turned or looked or heard me but that was it. That's what tipped it, Quincy Jones. So then we left the celebrity holding pen, and we went back to the seats, and sure enough, like about 15 minutes after we went back to the seats, they led every occupant of the celebrity holding pen into the stands where they were magically just people at a show. And Quincy Jones sat just down to the right where we were sitting, and Bono gave him a shout-out during the show, which I thought was beautiful. And of course, it was so funny because these were good seats, obviously, but right behind us, there was this couple... That were just—I think they were fucking tripping, man. I mean, full on tripping balls, and they were right behind me. And you know, they're playing the whole Joshua Tree, and the band sounds fucking great, and they're focused. And they, and I'd forgotten what a tremendous fucking record that is. What a huge fucking record that is, just shaking me at the foundation of my soul. Beautiful. But there was this couple behind us. They were dancing so much that the people around them had to move aside. And they were the girl was just screaming out of context. It's like, yeah, but really obnoxious, horrible scream. "Ah!" I don't know why. And the guy was singing along with Bono and then doing call and response with him. And nobody else was. But they, you know, they were just like sweaty and tripping balls and annoying but I had that moment where I'm like, at first it was like, you know, why we got to, what? Just, just my luck, I gotta be in front of these two people. But then it was sort of like, you know, that's what music does, man. That's what music does. That guy's singing along with Bono in the same space and it's probably the greatest day, one of the best days he's having. She's going crazy. I turned around once or twice, she was crying. And I'm like, they're not annoying. They're doing what they should be doing. They're ecstatic. They're ecstatic at a rock and roll show. What more can you ask for? So, look, Jay Maskus just wanted to come by. So I said, sure, Jay, come by. And he came by and he left his capo. He left his capo here. He took my tuner and left his capo. So I emailed him and I said, uh, Jay, um, I think uh, we swapped my tuner for your capo. And then Jay wrote back, okay, you cool with it or should I mail it back? Uh, good seeing you. And I said, cool with me, if it's cool with you, just wanted to make sure you knew before you had to play a gig, uh, I needed a capo. And then he said, cool, find your key. Isn't that the whole thing? Find your key. This is me and Jay Maskus. He has, uh, the last Dinosaur Jr. album was a while ago. You can get any Dinosaur Jr. album. Give a Glimpse of What You're Not was released last year, but he just wanted to hang out. So this is me and Jay. Jay Mascus back in the garage, round two. All right. I'm going to get pumped up right now. <laughs> yeah, use that little squeeze. That's a hard one, too. Yeah. I always wonder what the... It's interesting when people fidget with you. I don't know what they're going to pick up. So, uh, what? Do you, I haven't seen you in a few years. We had a nice yeah. chat the last time. What are you doing out here?
1: Not much. Uh, my kid was going to Disney World with the with my two sisters and my brother, and me and my wife didn't want to go so we decided to come to california and it's our first trip
0: together away from the kid oh really yeah. how old the kid now Nine. Oh my god yeah. well, so you, are you staying at a swanky hotel not swanky uh, <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> we had a bit of a, a airbnb disaster you know oh uh, yeah we were supposed to go to this place in malibu and uh you know my wife's really into colombo so you know there's these winding hills yeah and you, you know it does look like colombo up there but <laughs> when we got to the house the tv
0: show colombo yeah
1: yeah <laughs> when we got to the house we got really scared and there's really loud wind chimes and it was just creepy and the shower looked like some weird hobbit
0: cave and i was just like i gotta get out of here oh really so it was a vibe it wasn't yeah. like a, there wasn't people living there or th- no you just got you got creeped got, out yeah yep, totally Really? Well, I mean, that sounds like a, just like one of those weirdo Malibu houses. Yeah, but... And it had something else going on? I didn't want to be there when night fell, you know what
1: I mean? I was just like, <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't picture that. <laughs> so did you end up
0: coming back into town? Or did you get holed up out in Malibu? No, yeah, we bailed back to Santa Monica. Well, that's fun. How long are you in town for? It's a Monday. Who are you hanging out with? What did you do today?
1: Um, uh, Just rode a bike on the beach and came over here.
0: All right, so now we're going to talk about this record cuz I like I, I pulled it out just cuz it was something that I bought. Well, this is the story with this her name is how do you pronounce it? Sibyl Bayer. Sibyl Baer. Bayer. Cuz you're German. Yeah. Your wife's German. Yeah. But like I had this, it was sent to me probably by the label. Yeah. And uh, I was going through records and I, and, I, and I put it into a box that I was going to trade out, but I knew I, I thought I'd listen to it, and I thought it was something, and I didn't know anything about it, and I brought it over to Dan. You know, the guy who likes a certain type of music goes, oh, you don't want to get rid of this one. I'm like, really? Yeah. He's like, yeah, no, that's a, that's a great record, and I think that's the only way it exists, this record. It's not a reissue. No. But you had something to do with this, because I just pulled this yeah. out. But what happened with this record?
1: Well, um, yeah, since my wife's Germans, we know a lot of other Germans wandering around in the Northeast, and uh, <laughs> one of them brought us to this guy, Robbie Byers' house, yeah. you know, like an hour away, and said, oh, he's my friend, blah, blah, blah. What's and, he do? That guy? He's a musician okay. as well, and we go there, and he's playing this music, and it's like, sounds very, like, contemporary, like, this sounds like this could be an indie rock hit. You yeah, know, yeah. very cat power like right th- th- I was like what is this? this is like this is totally um what's happening right, right. yeah it's like oh this is my mom i'd compiled some of her songs for her birthday i made it into a i went through her tapes and made this you know compilation i was like you could definitely get this put out and he's like oh really uh you want to yeah just <laughs> give me the tape i'll give it to some people and and then i gave it to some people and um this guy in Elf Power, I knew he'd be really into it. He was over at my house, and I played him, and his eyes lit up. You know, I knew he got all psyched. And
0: and, it, and did it find success? Well, with record nerds, yes. You know. <laughs> right, right, yeah. It's a really beautiful record. Yeah, it's awesome. You know, you know what I listened to for the first time? I think uh, Adele. Yeah, I got into Adele through The Voice. Like,
1: right. I started watching The Voice with my kid, and yeah. This guy, Billy Gilman, did an Adele song. And I was like, Billy Gilman, I was obsessed with him like in the early 90s because he was this child country star. He right. was like 12. And he had these hits. And, and we went to the beach once with this drag queen who's like, you got to listen to Billy Gilman. Like all the drag queens were all over this kid. They could smell the tragedy on him already. And, <laughs> and I was like, we'd listen to it. And the song was amazing. And I couldn't believe suddenly he's grown up and on the voice and he's a judge no he was a contestant oh he was a contestant and it turned out he was gay like they could sniff it out they back know. then they knew yeah and, and he did an adele song he did an adele song i got into adele through that
0: i do. like i had this moment where i'm like i don't know if i've ever heard an adele song yeah and like these records and and y- y- you know pop music is pop music but but people love her yeah and it's not like she's some fluke so I listened and I'm like, holy shit. It's like uh, the some of the stuff I heard was kind of like, you know, like old uh, soul kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. And I she, like her. Yeah, she has such a cool personality like that. Yeah. And she's in the car singing with James Corden. I gotta watch that. pretty you're amazing. Was, yeah. the, I was,
0: you, the second, you're the second person that told me to watch that. Yeah. What about Lord? Let's talk pop stars. I don't know much about her. You don't know her. much about her? You ever seen her? She dances wild.
1: No, she, played, compelling. she played with Nirvana, I remember, at the... Uh, Rock and roll. hall That's thing. where I
0: first saw her. She must have been like fifteen, sixteen, maybe seventeen years old, and that kind of blew me away. Very intense.
1: Yeah. Then I played an after party with Nirvana that same night, and everyone else came, but she didn't show up to sing.
0: Oh, really? Maybe it was too late. She was, maybe. <laughs> she was like in high school. You know, what I've been listening to is that um the Ravi Shankar records. Yeah. Right. Yes. I mean, he's got a vibe, right? Yeah. They're
1: relaxing, aren't they? Yeah, I love all that any raga thing i'm a sucker for you
0: know? do you ever think about doing like a uh, a Jamascus raga yeah i do like sometimes
1: some fake kind of stuff like that in yoga places with some you know guys i know who do who's playing yoga places and do kirtans
0: so wait now let me just understand this you you're doing some yoga place gigs sometimes <laughs>
1: Well, I'll do my fi- my impression of uh, Ravi
0: Shankar, which sounds more like Mick Taylor. <laughs> yeah. Wait, just let's let's flesh this out a little bit. So, yeah. where does a yoga tour take you? Like where? You, you, Brooklyn j- usually. So you just show up like they yeah. do live music at yoga places. Yeah. Like in now, are you build like? Are, yeah. Are Jay Maskus Yoga.
1: Um. Well, I have a gig coming up. Yeah, it's me and this guy, David Doss, and Tony, who I play with. We usually play together. And people are doing
0: yoga, so you're, you're working.
1: No, no, it's just at a yoga place. They're just singing along. Oh, that's different. Along.
0: I, I, <laughs> I pictured that, like, today's class is going to be interesting. I'm going to yeah. talk you through the poses, and <laughs> Jay Mascus is going to be playing some music for you. I would do that, yeah well there i i it might, is it challenging to do something meditative no i like it what do you do acoustic no no, <laughs>
1: no. <laughs> um yeah I, I like to play electric
0: or i can play my electric
1: sitar and get
0: you have one of those yeah
1: the fake you know like sixties
0: yeah do, now is it it does it look
1: like a guitar well, they try to make it look like a sitar, but it plays like a guitar, yeah.
0: So, what, what is the difference? Like, there's more strings? No, it just buzzes, you know. <laughs> so, it sounds like a sitar a little bit. Because, like, that whole thing, like, sometimes I try to add those flourishes, those, gang, <laughs> those things, and they don't fit into a lot of what I do. They they stand out, like, in the middle of a a, a, a sort of Peter Green blues run. Yeah. If you throw one of those, <laughs> it doesn't quite fit.
1: Do you ever watch Peter
0: Green showing
1: off his guitars? Oh, yeah. The old Peter
0: Green? (laughs) Oh, no, no, I got this one.
1: (laughs) It has 14 different, you know, triangles coming out of it. And you're just like...
0: It's where he's walking around the weird gated (laughs) (laughs) lockup. Oh, my God. Where's the Les Paul again? (laughs) Yeah. But tell me, though, I always enjoy uh, hearing the Jay Mascus play.
1: All right. Let's see what's going on here.
0: Yeah, I'll try to set up, too. Sounds good
1: to you? I don't know. Yeah. You're hearing it, aren't you? I'm hearing it. I'm not a fan. I always hear my voice. I'll
0: I'll be over here riding the levels. All right. Go ahead.
1: All right.
2: Calling out. out.
0: Nice, nice little blues riff on the tag. <laughs> yeah, I'm practicing my blues. For, for
1: oh, my I, sound man likes.
0: Oh, does he? he? That's his thing. Wait, you want to do one more? All right.
2: all i go through but the thing is i don't know
0: That was great, Jay. Thanks for coming by. Sure, thanks. So, that was me and Jay Mascis. That was fun, right? It's always good to see Jay. He cracks me up. Once you get to know him, he cracks you up. Danny Fields, the man at the juncture of a lot of rock history and a lot of great stories uh it, I I was just surprised I got to talk to him because I don't think he, he gets out much to do these and he's got uh, there's a, there's a documentary out this is what spurred me to talk to him it's called Danny says a documentary on the life and times of Danny Fields is now available on iTunes Amazon DVD and other on demand services but uh but I, I it was it, it was good it was it was actually a challenging conversation not in the way uh that you would think just in the way of like man there's a lot here how do i get it all in a line so this is me and uh danny fields i can't even tell you what exactly he is he's a an R guy a publicist a, a provocateur in a way a, 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 a conduit danny fields is a connector and a through line to some of the best bands ever okay this is me and danny
3: didn't send you that book. Was the only thing in my life that I ever did. I never did anything except take pictures and that's why I'm so proud of it. I don't know that it's the only thing you did in your life. It's the only thing I did <laughs> that I did that was mine because there's my camera and my pictures right, and right. my film yes. and my writing and my choosing right. them and my being able to take them. Of the Ramones? Yeah, I just written during... What year? 76 and 77.
4: The, those I, years yeah
3: yeah the the important years the first trip to los angeles the first trip to london the first yeah you know uh walking through washington dc and my voice is shaky because i'm just starting because i'm always nervous you're
0: nervous always really like even if you're just sitting still
3: <laughs> i used to ha- i used to have a show on wfmu eight. Hours a week, Thursday and Friday, 8 to midnight. That was a a life changer for you, wasn't it? I know. And I (laughs) was so unnervous. And if you listened, because they kept it all. Yeah. And I have this, like, hello, mellow, hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The classic. Hey, man.
0: Yeah, the classic FMU. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Late 60s FM voice. Yeah. And I had such freedom. And I just would play half-hour blocks of music and backsell them. I never say,
0: coming up, this, and... (laughs) They just segwayed, and it was kind of wonderful. And you started like a, a, like I watched a documentary. Danny says, and I liked it. Now, what I, what was interesting about it is how many how much different footage they had of you over many different years, and and many <laughs> different you, lifetimes, and all squashed together. Yeah. You know. I've talked to a couple of people that I, that talked about you directly. Well, I had Legs in here recently, but I had Iggy in here, yeah. and uh, you know, and I had Wayne Kramer in here. Yeah, you know, and I think the 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 guy that talked to you the most about you the most was probably Wayne. But you didn't start out in music; you were like some uh, like whiz kid, right? Where where'd you grow up? In Queens. Which part of Queens?
3: <sighs> Which part of Queens? The southern not... Good part of Queens. There's a good
0: part. <laughs> oh yeah. When it gets hilly, it's better. I I, I lived in Astoria for a while, so it's uh-huh. just like you're, di- you were just like a Jewish kid from Queens. Well, I'm just like. I'm,
3: <laughs> <laughs> First of all, there weren't many in my part of Queens. Yeah. The Jews were rare. Yeah, we we're not we're not in Forest Hills. Uh huh. And um, something called something Goodfellas territory. Oh yeah, Does yeah. That's yeah. say yeah kind of like bring something mostly to mind. Italian. Yes, most yeah. Italian are German. Yeah, my father was the doctor, so oh, he, he was, was a doctor, second actually. only to the priest and authority and right, right. sacredness. He he, and then he, he got and respect, I, and I was the doctor's obnoxious son. <laughs> <laughs> i um, you know loser sissy son. So uh, yeah, yeah he, that was rough.
0: Did you have brothers and sisters? I like had that, a remember? younger
3: brother, but you know Manhattan was there. It was the right. subway right away. When did so. you start going in? As soon as I could
0: get on the train, <laughs> as soon as I could <laughs>
3: reach the turnstile. <laughs> yeah, always. And but you know, I didn't start. My family was all over. It was a New York family, so there was right. the Manhattan branch and Riverside right. Drive, right? People and aunts and uncles Brooklyn and one, and then the son wants to be Jersey and mm-hmm. uh, so they spread say,
0: out. It was spread out. Yeah the uh, the the fields diaspora. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Was all over Brooklynish and when when did you like you ended up like because i i did i did uh, watch the movie so i know more than i should than i than when i than when i do uh, generally interview people but you were you were a bright kid right and yeah. you and you're running i in... still a bright kid
3: yeah everyone else was so stupid <laughs> but oh did my. you go to st-
0: <laughs> did you go to college when you were
3: like 15 yeah i was 15 and that was you know not not the easiest but no i can't not... imagine
0: there's worse things in the sure. world. You know. And what was your interest? What were you going to do? Uh, nothing.
3: Nothing. No interest to have friends. Yeah, I wanted right. friends. I never had any. <laughs> yeah. This is so sad. No, it's not. But, um, I went to Penn, Yeah, which is in someplace called Philadelphia. Right, sure, Philly. And uh, it was not heaven on earth. It yeah. was not. I mean, compared to New York, it sure. did not. Being in the Ivy League, which is meaningless but the only thing that i meant was that on weekends you got in a car and pretended you cared about a football game right <laughs> which i don't even know what the rules are <laughs> but you pretended that we're playing yeah. a wee yeah the collective we <laughs> i mean politically yeah. this is no I think yeah. it makes me sick to it, think that i ever used that word and we were in we were in princeton or we sure. were in providence right or new haven yeah or Cambridge, right? Or Boston, Cambridge, England. I just thought, why? Why am I not here? Yeah, this in is Boston. where I want to be. I want to be in Cambridge. You I wanted? Want to, to? I want to be near the streets of Harvard.
0: Yeah, just, just I want to be there. because it felt uh, I felt
3: like I should be. like I feel now. I, should, I want to be in London. Right. I don't oh, want I to be it. in New York. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like wherever you are. There's I some get,
0: order to it. There's yeah. some uh, style to it there's a a, an aristocratic vibe
3: no that's not that this it's a selfish longing to feel as if i'm kind of home right you know i like these people they like me did you long last right did you end up you ended up going there right so i applied to harvard law school yeah so not interested in being a lawyer. It's one of those things. Like a dentist, I if well, I, yeah. I need, need one of these right. things, I'll hire one. Right, one. I want to be one. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. But it was an easy way to get in and to be living in the Harvard University community because my marks were so good. Right, and I got the r- really high score on the law school aptitude test. And he went I was to law school, and there, mm-hmm. I went to law school, and he law yeah. school, but loved. As I thought I would, as my fantasy told me I would love being in Harvard
0: Square, yeah,
3: which was very not like. Queens. No, no. Or it's, Philadelphia.
0: It's sort of, it is kind uh-huh. of stunning. I, I was. I, I lived in Boston for a long time. And there's something about Harvard Square. And they want to look
3: cool. Didn't they look
0: cooler? Yeah, like yeah, oh, denser, sure. denser,
3: denser, Bigger density of, of coolness. Yeah, yeah, okay.
0: yeah. A lot of layers. Yeah. Yeah, you had a lot of options to, to wear a sporty clothing. Yeah, these, yeah.
3: Oh, I always wanted to know someone who looked like that. Yeah. Or all the sporty clothing. Just steal sporty clothing at, you know, at J Press and all <laughs> yeah. the great stores. And, and try it on. So uh, what changed with the law, with the law school? What it was you, so boring, and yeah. were, you had to memorize things. It's not about how smart you are anymore. It's yeah. about how good is your memory, right? How well do you know which some judge one day decided should be this final solution? Yeah, term. Yeah. Sorry, but should be the ultimate yeah. way of reasoning out this problem that is before us, and that becomes the law. Yeah. That's the tradition. This is the common law. Sure. It's all isn't written down. It's like
0: precedent. And what year was this? I hated this.
3: Yeah. Oh, going to fifty nine sixty. So what... Everyone had a suit, and then people...
0: You like that, though, right? No. You didn't like this suit?
3: I'd like dressed like this. Oh. Oh, no. No. (laughs) And I never... Yeah. Oh, I hated it. I still don't. (laughs) I, I couldn't do it today. Yeah. And... And people went to the bathroom with each other, sat on adjacent toilet bowls so that they could refresh their memories, excuse me, about the, the law, law, this case, yeah. which is going to be
0: on the test.
3: Yeah. This is the way. So you go into out. the
0: bathroom and you hear people in the stalls discussing uh, well, yeah,
3: arguments? Were, wait, wait. If you were there alone, you started <laughs> to feel I'm doing something wrong. I don't belong here. I'm going to flunk out.
0: If you go to the bathroom alone? Well, yeah. yeah. I should be
3: with some I shouldn't be wasting my time. Yeah. So, I think I'll just play bridge, yeah, <laughs> there's, a, there's a bunch of other people who hate going to these classes, too, and you found them, I found them, we yeah. found each other, yeah, we didn't believe it, and so we sat there playing bridge.
0: That's arrogant. what was it that sparked the interest in i I don't know Would it would it wouldn't be counterculture, but it would have been what was happening do you, you know like music and and everything else uh,
3: I think my my life and my education probably started there people who read people who didn't really know yeah. what they wanted to do right but were smart those are my kind of people right they're really <laughs> smart and they don't know what they want to do and yeah. they're beautiful and they're young and they go to Harvard yeah. and they love to fuck which yeah. is important yeah very. when you're 19 sure I was 19 in yeah. law school yeah and was it easy to get fucked at Harvard yes <laughs> <laughs> yes if you were 19 it would easy for anyone in the world to be
0: fucked when they're 19 but it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, you couldn't be out, really, right?
3: Yes, you could. No, could.
4: <laughs> uh, what
0: does that mean? There's that word that that gets sprung on me. It
3: meant nothing to me. Was I out? What does that yeah, mean? I
0: don't know. It's a word that I guess straight people know.
3: Yeah, but we there, there were no straight people to know. We found each other. Yeah, sure. And and a community of. Mm-hmm. of uh, in many ways like-minded people yeah. who, some of whom went to Harvard some of whom went, once went and now are in graduate school some of whom went and finished graduate school but stayed there because it was the coolest place they ever stayed and they couldn't imagine having to leave Right. this bosom of elitism
0: so when do you go to New York?
3: Okay, when I flunk,
0: <laughs> flunk out of Congress
3: when, when when I dropped out Yeah, I dropped out of Harvard Law School and said I can no longer continue to take up it a seat like
0: 1960 yeah and when did you get like locked in with uh when did you sort of find yourself in the orbit of whatever was going on and in and the art war- wise, art no, wise. Like okay. with warhol we went to, yes
3: okay there was a bar yeah called the san remo with yeah. and McDougal. so yeah. it was there and it was a bar that was turning quasi gay yeah it was but uh edward alby Andy uh-huh. warhol Jasper Johns, mm-hmm. Bob Rauschenberg, the hanging out of great art. Yeah, happened to be gay, but some of the great geniuses yeah. of, the, of that era.
4: Yeah,
3: hung and out there. So that's kind of where one would go. Yeah, and, and bars that sprung up around that neighborhood.
0: And you just met them there. Just went, and
3: yeah. you know, you'd make a friend and just be like someone who goes. And then yeah. three girls had an apartment on that we loved on what eighth street yeah and that was a hangout and you went from being sitting at one table to being able to get up and go and sit at another which right. was very important
0: sure and then you then all of
3: a and sudden then making a- your own table because the, the ultimate thing and, man, things must be different but to find a prime empty table yeah and sit on it by yourself and then watch who comes it, watch who comes and, yeah. And it's a, a competition that you have with your destiny. Yeah. I'm going to make a great table. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to start with nothing. No money, no drinks for everyone. No buckets of champagne, hey, yeah. nothing. Just I'm going to be sitting there. Yeah. And it's going
0: to be all right to sit there and let's yeah. uh, see what happens. And you—and did you collect? Did you make your table? Yeah. Uh, yeah.
3: So, I mean, yeah. Wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't be talking about it now if it had been a complete failure. <laughs> That was, yeah. This is why you came to New York, so you could start a table. That was that was my first start a table. Okay. Um, but
0: you must have been a raconteur, or, or at
3: least fun. You know, I wasn't. You I wasn't. I'm not. I wasn't. I never was. I could... Come on. No, I could... What have, was your gift then? I could suffer geniuses. Oh. I could love them. Yeah. For, you were
0: a for, good audience. You were I, a good battery. I was a good friend. Yeah. Uh-huh. To people who are really smart. When you go to the factory, like, you know, I've only seen this in movies and, you know, I've read about it, but I mean, what what was the experience? I mean, did you? it doesn't sound like you had any real affinity for the art necessarily. It was more of a scene, right? Well, the art. You said that with some amount of patronization uh, what did you mean by
3: that well
0: I meant that like y- you know when art was it I get it, it I get like, it you know
3: it was uh, whatever Andy was yeah there was art being generated I yeah need to be rude oh it's okay but there was um he was having art because he was into mass multiples yeah multiples which is the story of modern art I mean, this is how Campbell's soup cans is yeah. art. is yeah. getting big. I mean, come on, think about that. Yeah, it, was I mean, it crazy. It was like, not, no one ever yeah, seen it before. Antelopes and then virgins and then Jesus and saints and now soup cans. What? <laughs> you know, dukes and <laughs> yeah, yeah. soup cans. Yeah, okay.
0: right. Uh, historical events and soup cans. Yeah. Whoa, <laughs> this is wonderful. And it turned uh, it turned the whole intelligentsia and art scene upside down.
3: It turned Super. everything upside down. Yeah,
0: but I, I know at some point you transitioned into working in the music business. Yeah. Okay. Legitimately.
3: Legitimately by answering <laughs> an ad. I always was going to go into print media. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't know what else to say. It was like, what do you want to be? And the kid been asking me this forever. Leave me alone. Yeah. You eventually have to sort of kind of answer it, when it, you start looking at wantes. Yeah, And I sold books i worked at a magazine called liquor store monthly yeah as a production so i learned how magazines get made yeah all this enhanced my viability <laughs> as a print medium person <laughs> yeah Duh. and saw an ad saying managing editor for pop magazine it's being sought uh, Not a pop of,
0: magazine or pop, just mag- pop
3: okay pop, okay knowledge of pop world. So this is post This
0: is like you're already there in Edie. I'm there being yeah.
3: nobody. Yeah. I'm there being somebody with a floor you could sleep on. Hanging, and, and friends. Hanging out with Edie Sedgwick. And friends of yeah. friends. Yeah. And we were, it's like turning into like a family. But sure. You always want... Well, he's there because he writes songs yeah. and he's there because he could do silk screens and Andy is at the <laughs> center of this, like, God and he's yeah. there because he's the night watchman Yeah, and he's there because he takes photographs. And, and you
0: were just there. I
3: was there being
0: <laughs> cool. Yeah. Okay.
3: yeah. I got the job. There were hundreds, hundreds of applicants, I was told. don't know way I could prove that ever. Uh, by lying and saying, pretending he meant the pop art scene because there I was going to all these Parties at, at Castelli Gallery. Yeah. So I said, oh, "Knowledge of pop scene. sure. I've sure, to yeah. Rauschenberg opening. Yeah. Yeah. I can do that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I could do and that. And then
3: I got Billboard magazine and memorized it. Yeah. Like I could still do. Look how I got through college. Yeah. I memorized yeah. textbooks. You know. And I came in for the next meeting. I could tell him I was fourteen on the charts. And yeah, know to anything it. about this? <laughs> yeah. And he said, "Oh, you're hired to yeah. me." Managing editor of a teenage magazine called Datebook. Uh-huh. Well, this is nice. He wanted it to be... He wanted it to follow in the successful steps of
0: 16 Magazine. Get those little girls buying the magazine. I didn't want to do that.
3: Yeah. They to write about the birds and Jefferson yeah. Airplane and the Velvet Underground and the Rolling Stones. And... What was cool, but I had my in
4: right
0: then. So, I so it was mainstream, and you were not. That I, was not I, what it was always always alternative. When did you meet the Velvet Underground? How how early on okay. was that? It was
3: we, a bunch of a bunch of people from the factory went yeah. to hear them play at the wherever they were playing. Yeah, but before that, Donald Lyons and I had chased this really, really good looking guy down the street. Carrying guitar on McDougall Street. Yeah, of course. And ran out to him and said, "Hey, you're so good looking. You should be in an Andy Warhol movie." Doesn't this sound amazing? To admit this, we actually did that because yeah. we, why not? <laughs> this guy has a guitar. Yeah, he could be singing. Yeah, you know, so that's the jet. Yeah, Andy likes guys that look good on film. I bet he's going to. And yeah. So why not? It's not balls to go up to yeah. someone. Say, would you like to be in an Andy Warhol movie? <laughs> As it was, it turned out great. And there Who was it, Lou? It was Eric Anderson. Uh-huh. Okay. This is in the movie. It was called Space. A bunch of people at the factory, about a dozen, sitting around. Eric Anderson is there with the guitar. Andy is learning how to focus, how to pan, how mm-hmm. to <laughs> <and laughs> tilt, yeah. you know, yeah. on camera. Right. And there's this movie. Yeah. And... Eric is, my, my, what's, what can we do to have a hoot nanny at yeah. the factory in yeah. 1965? Oh, what a nice idea. We're going to have a hoot nanny. You know, we do everything else. Why not have a hoot nanny? <laughs> so Michael rowed the boat ashore, and they tried that. <laughs> and people fell over <laughs> and, you know, p- pushed each other out of the way and preened yeah. and all that. Yeah. And Eric and Edie are sort of making eyes at each other. Um, extremely extremely wonderful my friend donald is trying to teach edie the words to the hail mary uh, yeah I can imagine like <laughs> 30 times <laughs> and this is like yes this is an anti-war home movie right. This it's kind of perfect yeah and it was supposed to have been scripted the script writer in ronnie tavel and disgust walked out and everybody just kept laughing yeah and having a good time okay five months after that the velvet underground moved in so this to answer your question i had to take this back route so that was the music comes through the factory and the through form Eric of a solo, yes yeah, the solo acoustic singer yeah okay who is really talented and beautiful and wonderful yeah and then come the velvet underground might as well have a band hey we had a folkie that worked out pretty well
0: and they hung out for a while
3: they hung out for quite a while and they more than hung out i mean it became a professional association with a record and tour yeah it was real right the factory found itself in the music business right Um, with the first velvet underground album yeah yeah, and and forever when you think of it. Yeah, Because, uh, so you know, then Lou and John go do songs for Drella long after Andy's gone. At How the, much
0: did he influence them really? I mean, what you know, what what was his impact on the Velvet Underground? You know, yeah. they talk about it a lot. Yeah, and a lot. They
3: uh, worship him. Yeah, and certainly in retrospect. At the time, you know, they are a rock and roll band. Yeah, they're kind of being used as sort of a toy. Um, right. Oh it's possible to get a movie projector and run a movie and shine it at the band that's playing up there. At the same time, we want to do that. Let's do that. Yeah. Oh, let's put all these gels into projectors and cover the band with, you know, polka yeah. dots and stripes. Right. Oh, let's do that.
0: But they just wanted to play. Uh,
3: yeah, but they also wanted the audience that the celebrity of Andy Warhol and, and
0: a place... So, so here you are immersed in this, and now you've got this job at a pop rock magazine. Yeah. And what was your first uh, big... Uh... Well, my first big thing was to do something
3: spectacular and mischievous, because yeah. I kind of resented uh, I resented it a great deal. Yeah. I did get an invitation to go on the Rolling Stones boat ride, uh-huh. um, which the boat pulled away before I got there. <laughs> um, but you... that's when I met Linda Eastman, too, because I waited for someone to get off the boat with the camera. There's a whole
0: other story but Linda McCartney the future Linda McCartney yeah 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 so that was you know it did she inspire you to take photographs yes very much Mm -hmm.
3: very much Um, you wrote a
0: book on her too didn't you
3: I wrote yeah I wrote a a tribute memoir Uh sort of of me and her
0: did you stay in touch with her all the way through
3: uh yes and as much as you could uh because I think when she first married Paul in 1968, 69, I think I get the feeling he didn't encourage her to keep in touch with her friends in New York, most of whom had columns yeah. and or you know edited magazines, yeah. et cetera. So, but yeah, uh, at the time of his first album, they um, came back. Oh, the McCartney album? I, yeah, tell, tell, tell us about this music business yeah, now. Uh-huh, There's uh-huh. no more Beatles. Right. Ah, uh, here I am, It's <laughs> us you know. We can use
0: that guy now.
3: Yeah, well, we could, yeah. Let's, you know, it will remind us what's been happening these years. But
0: you worked you did a Beatles story, though. You did Beatles stories for the date book.
3: We owned Beatles stories, yeah. okay. Among the things we owned, which, which Art Unger had purchased, was a series of interviews with each of them done by maureen cleave who's Uh a london journalist and i found that we owned them we owned the right to publish them in america and so i read them and i said whoa this is quite extraordinary here uh well i have to just say what sir paul mccartney said talking about america um it's a lousy country where anyone black is a dirty nigger So whoa, there's a line. Let's Let's put it on the cover of a magazine for eleven year old girls. Let's see what happens. (laughs) You you (laughs) did that, yes. And oh yeah, (laughs) then there's an interview with John Lennon. Yeah. And in the course of the interview, he says, "Oh, we're more popular than Jesus." Yeah. And (laughs) elsewhere in the same interview, he says, "I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity."
0: And he put the other quote on the cover, too?
3: Yes, both of them. And followed by Timothy Leary says something and Bob Dylan says Uh something about message songs or something.
0: So, what was Unger saying when you're taking the magazine in this direction? Oh, he was saying, well,
3: this is really a big step. But, hey, Um, and as I'm discovering now, many years later, he's considered a pioneer, having been the publisher in uh, promoting a left-wing ethos. Uh Uh-huh. directing it at young rock and roll kids and consumers in the middle 60s which was ahead of its time because hey he bought those hey he said okay he said yes we can use them on the cover and as the headlines inside so but
0: okay that's how history is treating him I'm glad it's starting
3: to, and in academia, sort of, because he is rather... I mean, if I'm obscure, can you imagine how obscure he must be? Right. Um, And I was fired for... Not that. Yeah. Just because I didn't know how to put out a magazine. Yeah. I pretended. I was faking. I didn't know how to be an editor. And I've, I've learned, but I wasn't then. After I was fired, the magazine came out... As the Beatles were doing a giant stadium tour of the United States. Uh-huh. And uh, an irate mother in Alabama saw this, we're more popular than Jesus, quote, from the Beatles. I do yeah. they were predisposed in the parts of, in uh, certain regions of the United States, yeah. to despise the Beatles existentially. Yeah. Okay, this is kind of like the prick that did it. I think they hated them because their daughters liked them uh-huh. because they had long hair and so they thought they were faggots. Yeah, um, because they sang and they looked, looked you know, they were sissies uh-huh. or something. Right. And girls screamed and boys hated them. Yeah. Because the girls screamed over them, except right. the boys who were cool enough to like them as a band. Or right. Whatever. So it turned into big screaming, and then it turned into. Uh, a book burning yeah. where pastors, and Records preachers, and, uh, no, said to, and DJs. There, yeah, imagine if you were sitting there. Okay, kid, z- we just found out that the Beatles are Antichrist, mm-hmm. and they think they're bigger than Jesus. Well, first of all, the bigger than Jesus is one of those quotes that never got said, but it's come down in history, so it has kind of familiarity to right, it. Right, right. It's wrong. He yeah. said. We're more popular than It doesn't matter. Yeah. It, and there were bonfires, bonfires. Yeah. And people brought their records and trucks, ran them over, and they poured melted tar on them, and they had blazes. It was like Berlin in 1933. Yeah. Burning books. They were burning images. Burning of records. Of the yeah. so was, uh, this is, how do you get rid of Satan? Yeah. You know, why do you burn a witch? Yeah. You don't just chop over her head. Yeah. You burn her yeah okay this was it yeah metaphor for that and that was happening as my magazine appeared on the newsstands and it was causing um wow a A real reaction A a real reaction and the Beatles were set to tour the Beatles were on tour encountered death threats um fears paranoia what is that sound is it a shot yeah, you know, and then we go on stage and you could could they could hear nothing. These were stadiums they were playing, and the girls Giant. screaming. Yeah, the girls screaming, they couldn't hear themselves. They could have been mouthing the words. Yeah, I think I did not know them, but um, and then was that they it? They played either? San Francisco, and it was the end of the two weeks tour and whatever the conversation the different accounts of it they had backstage was this is going to be our last show. And it was Candlestick Park in September 1966 in San Francisco. And they put down, and they never played again, except an impromptu thing in London on a rooftop. But this was it. Now, I didn't, first of all, it wasn't intentional. Oh, you broke up the Beatles. No, I just printed a story that had run in London, and nobody even paid attention to it when it did, nobody said, oh dare nobody, in London, read? right, uh, in all of, wherever, six months earlier this yeah. happened, it yeah. sank without a trace, right, but in Alabama, it made, it was
0: quite a furor, it was galvanizing, and it, it was,
3: yeah, and it started a
0: fire that spread, right, and then it was also, it became clear where the rock lines were drawn in a way, like, I, I mean, if that's the reaction the Beatles get, I mean, that was the fight for rock and roll at that time. Yeah.
3: It's so good that we. Isn't that great that we can look at it now and say that? But imagine if you were consumed by it. And imagine if you were them. Yeah. Or their fans. Yeah. Or the people who said, I knew they would turn out to be Jesus haters because they have long hair.
0: Yeah. Like what? But. And within three years from there. You know rock would ultimately win that cultural war in a way
3: well it was a beachfront let's say yeah. beachhead what's yeah. the word beachhead and, yeah and and it was a big battle it was big it still i think has not has not been really no, explored. we've lost, we've lost
0: some territory uh, in the last yeah, that, year
3: yes and you're going to and this is part of the story is that perhaps we're cl- too close to it now though it was 50 years ago last yeah. Wall like yeah. four fifty. Um, and we still haven't gotten our arms around what the hell happened mm-hmm. and and what happened to them, but what happened to music and what happened to America. culture as we saw, what happened yeah. to America? It was it was what we see now. Yeah. It was a schism. Yeah. And and we see it now with this thing yeah. that happened after the election thing. Yeah. And we saw it then, there it was. There was a, a, a blueprint for it. Or it was an early, it was a sign, a message. Well,
0: yeah, it was like, oh, that, that that's there. This is part of us. This is part of America.
3: You well, know. Didn't say it then. No. He <laughs> we said, well, what have we become? What are we dealing with? What is this death? It's yeah. about death, it's about Jesus, it's
0: about fire
3: Yeah, and destruction and so when you get yeah. right,
0: when so but then I, does that is that part of the drive for you to continue in music
3: I moved to LA that summer I, this all came out while I was living in Los Angeles this is
0: before the, the DJ job
3: Uh, yeah yeah okay and I kept thinking I, sh- I should move here this place is cool yeah and I stayed in LA the summer of 66 was there to see this wonderful catastrophe happened as the result of a simple decision to put a couple of lights that had already been seen six months before in london on the cover of a magazine to see all all hell explode which was so much fun and i decided i couldn't live here because this is i couldn't make it down stoned i mean I had to drive down Laurel Canyon Boulevard, stoned late at night, and <laughs> with people hating me yeah. and the single behind me because yeah. they do it all the time and they could go fast and they may be stoned but they may not be and yeah. I am and oh these curves here comes another <laughs> one oh my god right. and I really because of that he left before <laughs> Uber I don't think I could live here right I like to be able to walk walk <laughs> when to you're high cause call a <laughs> taxi or get in the subway. <laughs> Okay. So but you go was, back,
0: and, and <laughs> then you took the job as a DJ?
3: Uh, WF, I had friends who, there was a, what was the station in San Francisco that went poof? Oh, the, I don't remember. Freeform, KSFO or KSAN or something. Uh huh. It was freeform radio. Yeah. And it was, you played what you wanted. Yeah. And they decided it was unprofitable, and a bunch of people were terminated. And each went out and and like a spore like a, of a species sort of found a place at another radio station another market in america and one of the san francisco people named larry yurden found a small college station in new jersey
0: called wfmu yeah my buddy uh, tom sharpling used to be on there for years okay. recently yeah this is yeah yeah
3: so you can do what you want yeah. it was so great and uh, i got to be a guest And I did so good as a guest because I have a thing for pretty music. Yeah. I hate music, but sometimes it can be pretty. Yeah. And and I got my own show eight hours a week, two nights a week. While I worked for Electra Records, imagine how unethical this is.
0: You were working for Electra? Yes, I was like,
3: I might as well be, you know, Ivanka Trump. I mean, I was really corrupt. But what were you doing for Electra? I was their publicity head of publicity. The director
0: of publicity, and that's when you were working at WFMU. Yeah, at the same time. So on, my, and the, who were the bands? Who were the bands? for the Electra? Who
3: were oh, Mr. in the MC5 band? But, but, I no, but that, to them.
0: But that was after. That was before you were. Wait, you were at FMU when you signed those bands?
3: 69, Yes.
0: So um, how did you get the job with Electra?
3: Okay, I got it because in the earlier magazine I had uh, sensed. The viability as a popular event uh, creation of the Doors, and you sensed it. Yeah, I you know I saw it happening. Where in L.A.? I, I saw it in New York from you know girls who had gone to see them on their first New York appearance and came back you know in a in a vapors and you know, <laughs> faint. Uh, and and you told Electra these guys were the guys. No then I had a call from a friend of mine um okay whom I'd met that summer yeah Ronnie Heron and she was a manager of the whiskey and yeah. she also managed kind of the doors uh-huh. and she said oh do me a favor this band I work for is coming to New York and would you be a publicist for them uh huh sort of so I was like, oh yeah sure so I'll see them. I heard people seen them and yeah. oh okay and I went to see them and I called Electra the next day and said, Hey, I'm the publicist for your band, The Doors, it seems. <laughs> I should say, I'm not getting paid. It's just I'm doing someone a favor, but you don't just say that. yeah. And they were thrilled to have a publicist <laughs> yeah. in their midst. Mm. And um, some months later, I was hired by Electra. Uh, There's another magazine I got fired from called
0: Hollow Blue, which became Circus. Oh, yeah, I always I got that. fired. I got fired yeah. from everything well yeah but you're so you had to deal with jim a lot jim morrison yes i know we, yes
3: i've been preferred yeah. strikes thunder into the yeah. beginning uh, <laughs> and, and lightning yeah yeah i did he was really great the first time i i said hi i'm your press agent and they were rehearsing on the morning for their show at on deeds yeah that night and I said, "I'm your president. I would like to interview you one at a time." And I said, "Come and sit with me." And he t- told me about who he was and what yeah. he did. And, okay. And I went back to a lecture and I said, "Oh, I'm really glad to be working with these people and I think they have a hit with my fire. That? Yes, but guess what? What? It was seven minutes long as yeah. recorded by Paul Rothschild and is on the first album. and they said, "Oh, it's seven minutes long as I just it. It can't be a hit, you know, it can't be on the radio unless you're three minutes long. And I said, oh, and they said, besides, we just released a whole break on through. Yeah. yeah that light my fire, what a <laughs> song that is. Oh. And I was not the first person to say that. Yeah. But I was the first person outside the company who came in there and said, hello, I think you have a hit there, but yeah. it's too long. Do something. Uh, or not. Yeah, You know, what do I know? Yeah. And they remembered that I was the first person outside the company who came and said, Hey, i have a hit. And would you like to start a publicity department for us? Because so, it was a hit. Oh, yeah, the week I started there was number three, headed to number
0: one. At number seven one. minutes, or did they trim it?
3: Oh, no. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, in the interim. Yeah. Of course. Uh, they responded to the pressure that was growing yeah. to, Hey, that's what a catchy tune. You got yeah. There. It's a hit. Uh, and we re- and cut it to three minutes and then it started zooming up the charts yeah and was that jim mad about that i think who can get mad about having the number one <laughs> he got mad when i started intruding this uh, remembering who i had been as editor of a teeny bopper magazine uh-huh. uh establishing creating promoting yeah in the style of 16 magazine and Gloria Stavers. Teen idols. Yeah, and there he was. Yeah, it was. A, oh, there was a teen <laughs> idol, and that picture of him, uh, Joel Brodke picture, sort of shirtless with yeah, yeah. a thin string of beads, and we knew this was it. Yeah. and that went into the Village Voice, and here's a new teen idol, and we yeah. all worked on it from different directions. The record went to number one. Uh, yeah, supergroup, and uh, what is called a career single. Yeah. you know what we in those days. Right. That was, like, more than just a hit. Right. It was, like, a hit that made you. Yeah. You know, Mythic. it was such a good hit. Yeah. such a good song. And, uh, yeah. What, what was the tension between you two? Well, okay. I went to see them backstage in San Francisco, and, and I thought, oh, such a snot. Mm. I thought, oh, these girls around Jim Morrison, this will never do. Yeah. For my new teenage idol, yeah. I must do something about this. So, uh. Ugh. Was in L.A. staying at the Tropicana, rest in peace. Yeah, and Nico and Edie Sedgwick were staying at the Castle at twenty six thirty Tower. Do you know what that is? Across the street from the Frank Lloyd Wright house. That's where rock and roll band stayed. Yeah, and Nico said, "Oh, we are so afraid here. <laughs> Come and stay with us." So I did, <laughs> yeah. and I said, "Oh." Jim, um, why don't you um, come up and visit my friends Nico and Edie Cedric? who yeah. I knew of. You know, there are different versions of this. I saw the movie called The Doors yeah. by Oliver Stone. This, I can only remember what I remember. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so am I looking for witnesses? Do I need them? I don't know. Yeah. I said, follow my car. I'm yeah. going to drive up, you know, and you're so mean. That's when I saw it. It's hard to drive in Los Angeles for a New Yorker, to begin with. Yeah. It's hard to drive when you have told Jim Morrison to follow my car into the hills. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, trust me. Yeah. I think he ducked between cars. Yeah. To confound me. This is it was like sunset towards Vermont. And yeah. To drive, make a left. Oh, my God. And it was, <laughs> I was oh, it was tormenting me. Yeah. But he, he was tra- tormenting me for interfering with his girl life, his groupie life. Yeah. By insisting. that there I had set him up with Gloria Stavers there. I was <sighs> working for the work. I was so old. I brought him up there. And there were some drugs going around in those days that people had. Yeah. And I think he got really stoned. And he met Nico. and. Mm-hmm. They didn't say a word to each other. They stood and stared at the same place on the floor. Uh huh. You imagine for a really long time. Yeah. So we like Jesus Christ! I'm going to go do something else. Yeah. going to play
4: solitaire.
3: Yeah. Okay. And um, they had a tumultuous night of fighting and shrieking and tearing of air and naked walks around the parapets and help he's going to kill me yeah uh, and that was I learned <laughs> uh, and he hated me from then on and also what I did was now look I was working with his record company they were paying for me to be there he was yeah. so high he consumed uh I don't think I'm the first person in the world who said that had right. an astonishing capacity for anything yeah and that, that the hand and that gesture that says, more. Yeah. Okay. He looks at the bottle and consumes more. And oh, what if he got killed driving down fucking Glendower? I'd lose my job. Right. So I took the keys out of his ignition. It parked in the driveway. It was a little car that he lived in. Yeah. And he put them under the floor mat. I didn't steal his car yeah. or anything. Right. It's made it kind of difficult yeah. for him. To get away, yeah, in his condition, and there were no phones there. Yeah, uh, we're lucky there was electricity and running water, <laughs> and, and so I, if, in effect, he was kidnapped. Okay, um, prevented from leaving until. Uh, things got better and of course he never forgave me for that oh really
0: that was it yeah uh-huh. it's enough isn't it i guess hey, so one uh, night yeah you Star jim yeah. morrison what i, I took his uh, you, know. you set him up with nico and then hit his car
3: keys yeah and uh. it's los angeles you hide someone's car keys come on what is yeah. the? sure you how, deserve that's it. a sin that's yeah. bad that's
0: uh, but that but but the doors you know really got you in tight with the record company you were you were the guy for a little while. For a little while. So, what? now, the way that I understand it, what you did for rock and roll outside of, uh, you know, make teenage girls like Jim Morrison was bring us the MC5 and the Stooges. Yeah, well, you have to do more than one thing at once. It's like you should have
3: more than one job. But
0: that, to me, is like the greatest story, though. Like, this idea that you get a two-for-one in Detroit or wherever the I hell I know, you in went.
3: one weekend. Isn't that wonderful? Well,
0: how did you get hip the, to them?
3: What the, happened? The people who, okay... They had played. This is July. It's a '68, and they had played at the uh, extremely riotous Democratic convention yeah. in
0: Chicago. Both I, of uh, them, or just the MC Five? MC Five. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. And well, it, they we, were the White Panther Party, and there was a lot of political yeah, oh, thing oh, behind them. Yeah, this. But at, for,
3: if, at first, mm-hmm. I knew of them through Dennis Froley and Bob Rudnick, uh-huh. who had brought me to WFMU, who had cocaine karma, and were politically active. Yeah. Uh, as of course we all were politically active right. to our own individual degrees yeah. and um, so I went out to see the MC5 and but first, I started to receive, the, the, they put me on their list. I yeah. was impressed. Everything was printed and in color, and there was a lot of propaganda and a lot of promotion. They had a promotion, mission. A mission. Yeah. They had a printing press in the basement that not only had a mission, they had a printing press. And,
0: hey, and that was, was that his was name John Sinclair? John
3: Sinclair. His, his influence. Wife, yeah. Sinclair. Yeah. Were uh, conscious of expansive, confrontational, political they worshipped the Black Action. Panthers. They yeah. called themselves the White Panthers. Yeah. Okay, and and they had their own band. It was like Andy having a band. Yeah, and we're a political party, and we yeah. need a band. Everyone yeah. needs a band, right? And well, it was this,
0: the late '60s too. It was the late '60s. Yeah.
3: And music meant something. Music meant something, and politics meant something. Uh, it was all. It was. Until now, it was the only thing that ever got everybody together was that war. Yeah. That hated, hated Vietnam hated yeah. war in Vietnam. And uh, so one participated in all, all, anything that attacked the fact that this country was a part of that. And they certainly were, but, but they primarily a rock and roll band. Yeah. And people who went to hear them went to hear rock and roll and went to see people in satin spinning around yeah. and weighing. Kramer being fabulous and Robin Tyner and then the Prelude Brothers and Sisters and it's kind of like a prayer meeting. Sonic Smith. Yeah, Fred Smith and Dennis Thompson. It was great. Raw rock and roll. It was real Midwestern rock
0: and roll. From the tradition of Mitch Ryder. Yeah, and
3: Mm -hmm. Grand Funk Railroad and it was was going to become stadium rock in the hands of of Grand Funk Railroad. Especially but later Bob
0: Seeger. <laughs>
3: it was oh yeah. He was there. Yeah. Ted Nugent would be sitting on the yeah. floor of the you know of the M C five. But room. Forgive me for saying that. Yeah. Yes. No, on the floor of the garage of the M C five, they would all be hanging out. Oh yeah. we were all hanging out together. And the Stooges too. And the Stooges okay, the Stooges came about because they come about. I mean they existed. Wayne Kramer said to me, Say if you like this all on one weekend, September in nineteen sixty eight. Yeah. If you liked us, you're really going to love our little brother band. Something he knew about my taste was yeah. kind of mm, weird and offbeat. And yeah, I don't know how. It's Wayne Kramer. So yeah, how could he not? Know smarter things than most of us know. And so I said, "Well, well, I'd love to see them. I have to go back to New York tomorrow." I said, "Oh, they're." playing across the street at the student union of the university of michigan uh-huh. in ann arbor yeah and so i went across the street and then heard first heard because i heard them filling the halls of the uh this, the oh, building oh. yeah then i saw iggy and then i went oh and <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: and the next morning i and i said i said Iggy walked past me and I said, well, uh, uh, do you have a manager? <laughs> I'm from Electra Records. He said, ah, oh, no, he's back there. And I pointed, I kept walking. Yeah. He said he thought I was some dirty old man who was hitting on Yeah. Because no one from a record company could sure. possibly. What were you
0: doing there? Yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah. Uh, Being interested in them. So I called Jack Holtzman, the president of Electra that morning. I said, yeah, I just saw two great bands this weekend. you got to sign them. They were feeling very expansive and expanding it's more like it in the wake of the great doors hits yeah you know they had become a rock and roll company now.
0: they used to be a folk company they were folk folk rock yeah
3: and you know with non-such you know they were classic and inventive and yeah so, song, songs of bulgaria you know yeah. they were happening yeah. you know and he said "Hmm." i said oh the big one is mc5 and they draw a lot of people. They're really successful. I said, mm. And I said, "When well, the little one is kind of starting and they're a little mm, farther out. He said, hmm, <laughs> and you really like them. He's on the phone, and John Sinclair, the manager of the MC5, and Jimmy Silver, the manager of the Stooges, are in the kitchen of the MC5 house in Ann Arbor. And Jack said, hmm, see if the big band will take 20000 to sign. See if the little one will take five. Yeah. I put my hand over the <laughs> mouthpiece. Remember, there were phones. The, yeah. And it's 11 o'clock in the morning yeah. on Monday. And when you take 20,000, oh. Yeah. It was, first of all, it was a lot more than it yeah, is. Yeah, sure. It's a lot. Yeah. Um, but they'd never heard. And then 5,000 for the studio. saying yes. And they were signed. Boom. And then just, wow. And then it got so hard. Yeah. as the 70s moved yeah. along, you know, doing the legal and financial aspects of a record deal. Yeah. Are, uh, anyhow, I soon got fired, the MC five got fired, the Stooges got fired. We made a little history
0: there. But you did the first so two I records. I mean you they did they each did their first record. They each did their first record, the Stooges did their first two records. Which which fell on deaf ears for the most part or no?
3: Well it didn't fall on massive ears but it fell on Lenny It just fell on Lenny Kay's ears for example who <laughs> yeah, wrote right. an incredible review and in, I think fusion yeah so when I said someone said oh there's that Lenny I said oh oh yeah you're the greatest person who ever lived
0: and that, and, it took, thought, and that had power then you have one good yes, know, yeah but
3: it wasn't just the one it, it was, was it one. was
0: a few but let's just say Lenny Kay. Because I know, didn't, I didn't get that. hip to the Stooges till years later, and it was like you know, when you listen to them, you realize that if it weren't for them, so many things wouldn't have happened.
3: Yeah, but it, you know, then I mean, they were so, my God, they were so unformed yeah. and so pure yeah. in energy. It was yeah. some a, a nuclear thing that you can't find. You haven't found something with enough lead yeah.
0: to hold it in. It yeah. was really spot yeah and yeah and I'm glad you think so but you seem to set the stage for what became the next phase of your you know musical interest
3: yes but not not with a big label right what happened is what always happens there are talented people gathering around a nexus mm-hmm. of it more, it more than a movement it's a place where it is permissible to be creative Mm -hmm. and there was such a scene in New York in the wake of the Velvet Underground and of course the New York Dolls were hugely, greatly, wonderfully important then in the early 70s and a, a way of being expressive and wonderful and creative
0: and smart and glamorous and Good records, and good songs. Always good songs. You know, like you said, that you know, the Velvet Underground had set the stage for stuff, and you know, Andy had, and the Stooges had come to mm-hmm. New York a couple of times, and Bowie had come because, yes. yeah. So, like, and there was this crew of of bands and musicians yes. centered around yeah. the Lower East Side right. that were all doing, you know, unique and interesting stuff. Interesting. Uh, takes right I mean, rock and roll it had
3: not much to do one didn't come because there were uh, there's another which the implication there would be it sounded like something that was part of something it did not right well it that was sounded, the, that's a good thing yes it the, sounded what these people called the talking talking head yeah well these people called uh, the new the heart, york dolls the or the, heartbreakers, these people called the, Ramones. Ramones, the heartbreakers yes you said the Heartbreakers and, yeah I said the Heartbreakers and Blondie was having yeah. commercial success very unlike what others were doing but it was it became a big sloppy old family Television's heart yeah is CBGB's yeah. which is a room that God has blessed with the greatest acoustics that anyone had ever heard yeah like anything sounds great there if you're great to begin
0: with you sound cosmic Cubed. Yeah. So okay. when you, so when you were there and you saw you you were you know um, uh, you, you were at a table, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which where, where were the tables at Max's
3: and at CB's? Yeah, and, tables know. downstairs at Max's. That mm-hmm. was a universe unto itself. Yeah. Upstairs, bands played. Yeah. It was a different universe. It right. Was more people who come to hear a band, and downstairs were people who came
0: to hear and see each other. Well that and that and at that time who were who were at the tables, like Lou and Patty Smith. Yeah, but I
3: just this morning there was I was watching the news and there was this real star looking newscaster. And I said to Brandon Brandon told him, my director who I'm an L with who's that? Something Shriver. I said, fuck, he's a Kennedy. Wow. It's like a news star. He's yeah. a star. He's the son of Sergeant Shriver, okay, and this story has a punchline, and Eunice Kennedy Shriver, who was a sister of Bobby and Shafley. Right? And one night, he came into Max's, I think, with Jermaine Greer, mm-hmm. and I was with Jackie Curtis, who was a trans, such a new neo sexual yeah. creation of her very own, It's uh-huh. her very own. And I could say, ah, oh, Sergeant Driver, this is Jackie Curtis. Uh-huh. This is the president's, Kennedy's brother-in-law Yeah, who started the Peace Corps. Yeah. Okay. And you could do that. That would be a table at Max, Right. Okay. So I had a, it, it definitely... Uh, I mean, they had Kennedy's. Sure. And they yeah. had... You know, drag queen. They had Germaine Greer. Yeah. And drag queens and so, that in the Warhols, of course, and bands? And man. there'd be a long table, and it would be Big Brother and the Holding Company and Janice, you know. Yeah, yeah, snacks is downstairs, upstairs, bands played.
0: Well, it's interesting because at that time in the early 70s, so all these bands from the 60s were still around, and there, there was the new thing, so it was that, that, that second wave of, of, of rock mythology all coming together. And then, th- then creating that third wave, which is the the Ramones and that crew. Yeah, but... I'm it's, I mean, inventing waves, Andrew, but you know what I'm saying.
3: Yes, I know, but communal in yeah. the sense that we came from each other, the members of the band that would become the Ramones would come to New York, to Manhattan from Forest Hills, a simple subway ride, to see the New York Dolls who were getting all this publicity and drawing, all these audiences and getting a record deal and yeah. we're supposed to be so good. And they said, Wow, what are we worried about? They, they don't, why do we have to worry about being good? Because they're just great. They're not they went to great without bothering to be good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And we see why they're stars. Look at that guy's hair. Yeah. Look what they're wearing. Well, look at that audience. That's the coolest
0: kids ever. Listen to that song. So so okay, so the dolls were the center of it and then Yeah, the, the
3: center and it was the scene. Yeah. Uh, yeah the coolest people would go to one place one night a week one night a month and this was all new york early middle 70s the dolls broke up in 74 and seabees started to be a place where the owner said oh sure you can play here but yes hilly crystal only original material no copy bands and he was a country western singer at one point yeah and a very great and wonderful person with a a room with the best acoustics in the world anyone ever heard okay and of course bands wanted to play there and then it became a mecca and all that but back then with with the core bands um it was just it was everyone sounded good and do you know, but apropos of what you said, there were record company people who would say, Well, oh, that neighborhood, the Bowery, yeah. I can't go there. It's not safe. I just told you I would, could walk there Sure, from where I live. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you could walk anywhere. But if they said that, you're right. Here is a f- f- fear, yeah. cowardice that's going to keep you back, and it's going to those guys. Look what they're missing. They could have signed all these bands. Seymour Stein wasn't afraid to go. Yeah, you know, a yeah. lot of people weren't afraid, but a lot of people were.
4: Uh, Seymour was television. How was Sire?
3: Yes, Sire. And how could we, tele, yeah, Tom Lane, Yeah, yeah. Of course, which great. was uh, Richard Hill. I mean, okay. Oh, and Richard Hill, oh, Boyd yeah, yeah. yeah, Richard Lloyd. I mean, the original television and Billy Ficker. They were what a great band. Oh are. my God, oh, yeah, they great. Yeah, you know, and you and were so, just there all the time. i so different. Yeah, and there and the people. Yes. And, how, you became a voracious fan of great geniuses who were f- forming their very very different musical uh, conglomerations yeah and what and when was the first time you saw the ramones the first time i saw the ramones was in 75 <sighs> at their annoying insistence and behest them. don't leave me alone who's on the phone it's one of them again yeah. they want you to come and see them it's, i had no idea I had a column, there yeah, and I wrote a weekly rock and roll column. For? The Soho Weekly News uh-huh. was kind of an alternative. Everything was yeah. alternative. Yeah. And I was writing about television and Patti Smith. Um, and come and see them, and, they and the Ramones wanted to be included. Yeah. In those columns. Yeah. And they were really after me. I was also the editor of sixteen magazine. Still? So I mean my recycled okay. now I'm back. okay. I went back. Yeah. and picked up that Part of my life on another level and uh-huh. became the co-editor-in-chief of it we were doing the bay city rollers then sure so during the day i was bay City <laughs> rollers and at night uh, I you was patty smith yeah yeah and someone to see the ramones okay oh okay i want see you okay just don't to stop calling i'll go see them yeah uh, and they were so great i mean 10 seconds into the first <laughs> thing and i said they're perfect. <laughs> yeah. They look perfect. <laughs> yeah. The songs are perfect. They're loud and fast and they're strong. Yeah. And the first song I, I, I heard was I don't want to go down to the basement. And I thought, that's a song? <laughs> that's a song. What what a sentiment. What a yeah. lyric beyond comics and and, and that arched sensibility i don't want to go down to the basement and that's a song boom and the whole set was 14 minutes long and i thought hooray this is so good yeah and i met them afterwards they said so will you write about us in your column and i said i think i want to manage you guys (laughs) something came over me yeah and johnny looked at me he was so smart we need $3,000 for drums. Can you come up with $3,000? <laughs> then we'll maybe, we can be our manager. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. I, I flew to Florida to see my widowed mother and said, Ma, I need $3,000. It's just sort of the best band I ever saw. So thanks to my mother, my you know, mom's got their set. "That's yeah. a lot of money for a set of drums in 1970. I don't know. $3,000. I don't either. It seems like a lot. But... Who cares? Yeah. And we were off and running. That yeah, was great. And how long were you with them? Five years. It was a contract. Yeah. And, and you
0: hooked him up with Sire? Or who did it first?
3: They were kind of known to Sire. And then my best friend had become Linda Stein, who was married to Seymour Stein, uh, who from Sire. Sire. Yeah. And so I brought her to see them. Yeah. And she was a real rock and roll and rock and roll gal. Seymour knew it. We all knew it. And she's raving about this. So we did an audition for Seymour Stein. And he signed them on the spot. I want to audition. That's all it took. And, and, it, and, and first album for $6,400. Okay. And the rest is history. You know, as I'm finding out, as I keep going back to London now, it's the 40th anniversary of that happening. Yeah, Going... To England and and it meant so much to people they did yeah. something they changed a great deal I think even 40 years is not long enough to know what it was they did
0: they changed the music
3: they changed the music they changed so much
0: them and the heartbreakers too the heartbreakers tour to london i heard was a powerful
3: Yes, Shit. it was, but I wasn't there for that, so you'll have to have I'm Johnny Thunders
0: in. in yes. Sure, we'll get a Ouija board and get him right so down. so wonderful. But yeah, so when the Ramones went to England, it was like, what the, this is it?
3: Yeah, and and, and they did something that was commercially very significant. It, it, many bands were forming then. It was kind of a, what to say, a plasma yeah. of extremely gifted people in this stew in London and they had their own concerns and they had their own politics and they were very strong and the people were very strongly powerful and talented but no one would hire them and then these (laughs) four people from New York came for three days and there was such a word of mouth sensation I think New York had an exotic oh it's an interesting place it's full of poets and it's very sexy this is London saying that But we can't get jobs because- Were you talking about like
0: the clash? Yeah, especially the clash, yes, yes.
3: And the Ramones played and thousands of people came to see them on July 4th, 1976, 200 years from, ironically, the Revolution the War that America get us out of this England thing. And here we are back in England and beginning what, uh, in retrospect, turns out to have been a revolutionary Period, and one of the yeah. things that it would make that, they, this kind of music, if one would call it that, sort of do-it-yourself music, um, became commercially viable. People said, "Oh, they you know, one of these bands can play at my club. Sure. Or, oh, we can have a little festival sure. in like, Leeds or something." Yeah, and that can be seen as a watershed moment. I mean, also Grant. It was the Pistols, of course, sure. and their greatness, of yeah. course. It, like let's call it a one-two punch i don't want to yeah. uh, get into like you know where did it
0: belong or sure sure well that that's that that you changed it you you helped uh you facilitated the big shift
3: yeah but you didn't know you were doing it then because i went back this past summer yeah 2016 yeah i actually spoke at the british library uh-huh you know and and um uh, uh was interviewed by Barney Hoskins, who was so brilliant, who does Rock's Back back Pages, Uh which you must know about, and will, everybody. And in front of an audience, and we had the British Libraries, it's it's like the libraries of the great libraries of the world, wanting to talk about 40 years ago in London. And the more you talked about it, the more I talked about it, the more I asked about it, the more perspective I was adding to it, this, this is great. Like, most of a lifetime had gone. And it just shows, You know, sort of have to, sometimes you have to get so far from something to look and see what it was and what happened. Most people said to me, oh, well, what was London like when you got there? I don't know. <laughs> we got there, we were there for three days. <laughs> and what happened after you left? I don't know. People tell me. I have to ask what happened mm-hmm. in, in the wake of, this ignition,
4: yeah, okay, yeah, that,
3: that the Ramones sparked in, in London, and so they made history and they changed the world. And after five years, they fired me because yeah. they weren't selling records, and they kind of knew they weren't going to sell records. But they were millionaires at the
0: times. So they were all gone. They did all right. They did quite well. Yeah, I remember one time uh, I saw. Joey and his father eating soup at Veselka, you know, like face to face at at a two top table. Yeah. And I just saw the profiles. It was so cute. You knew that was his real biological father? It looked just like him.
3: Wow. Yeah.
0: Maybe it was you. Yeah,
3: well, I don't Didn't
0: he hang really. out with his father ever?
3: I think I met him in passing. Oh. His mother was a great friend of everyone. She was very wonderful. Oh, maybe okay. I'm projecting. Maybe, yeah, could, could it have could have been have you. Been, Did you ever
0: have soup with uh, Joey at the Veselka? Uh, Joey, I, I was kind of
3: shy of Joey. He was so smart and sarcastic and shrewd. and I was kind of afraid of being left alone with Joey. But uh-huh. Johnny and Dee Dee and Tommy, no problem. Oh, yeah but Joey was ethereal <laughs> uh-huh. and so smart. Um, and here's the irony. So they, li- they lived for, they changed the world. Now there's a book, there's a fiction book called Ramon Ramon, as if, as if they had been brothers, as if they were no, a large that family, yeah. which I'm giving you a copy of. Yeah, I'm excited. It's unbelievably brilliant. This is the conceit. That they really were a family of brothers, and that there was an oldest brother who was a classical composer, and the Ramones stole his great innovative symphonies, <laughs> yeah. and to be, have it made their historic first four albums, which we are so also proud of. Yeah, and and
0: also you got to get me the uh,
3: photo book, and I'll get you the photo book, and you got to read, Damone Ramon is not published. I mean, can I say the word Amazon? You, yeah, I mean it would, sure. it's. It's speak, it's like nothing. And here's the, uh, it's a book. It's yeah. a book of words. It's not a song. It's not a haircut. It's not leather. Yeah. It doesn't. It's just a book that it lies there, and the words come and just you, strike you. Oh, oh my I, I, god! I'm, I'm in. I'm sold. Exploding. Yeah, I'm excited it, about it. Damone Ramon. That's his name. They were drug smugglers in the book. I'm first made on their ship called the Havana Banana. <laughs> smuggling drugs between rockaway beach and the coast of south oh America. that sounds funny i know it's yeah. very funny and wonderful
0: do you yeah. listen to any music beethoven okay he was good he uh,
3: <laughs> i can't say he said it all but he said more than i will ever be able to comprehend in this lifetime i would say that and without sounding pretentious but yeah okay okay thank you for talking Thank you.
0: This was funny. Okay, that's it. We did it. We pulled through. We got it. Find your key. I can't play guitar right now because my fingers hurt because I played a bunch yesterday. Like and I was playing acoustic and the tips of my fingers actually hurt. I know that a lot of you just are disappointed and you're like, hey man, that's you gotta push through. Next time. Next time. I have to go, you know, try to exercise so I don't die. All right. Boomer lives!